Formula Access. Today, we bring you yet another incredible guest from Delara. They're rolling out the red carpet with people I've never encountered on LinkedIn, where I find most of my guests. And they are backfilling all of my requests with some of the most outstanding personalities that I've come across. You guys are getting to see them. You're getting to witness this. You're getting to see it an entirely different side of motorsports and the infrastructure behind racing. And I'm really, really excited for not only this next guest, but also the additional guests that we, we are proposing for the future. So today I really want to welcome Giacomo from Delara. He's a general manager for the sport. I've gone through his bio. I'm really, really excited for this conversation because it takes us to a place we've never been before. Giacomo, appreciate it. Thanks for coming on. Thank you for inviting me. I am getting to meet some of the most interesting personalities. And when I mean interesting, I mean like coolest personalities out there. I, I come from Italy. Actually, I don't come from there. I am half Italian. Um, my, my mother is full Italian and, and my grandparents. So I am, I am around in every holiday around very, very strong Italian personalities. And so this, um, all of this engagement with Delara kind of brings me back home and around my family. So, uh, I appreciate it. And I'm glad, glad to have you on the show and your stateside. Yeah. I live in Indianapolis. Yeah. Exactly. So, so tell me, tell me about the role here. So at formula access, we have, uh, we have started in formula one. We've spent a lot of time in that sport. Um, that naturally brought us into IndyCar with some of the connections that I have within the sport. And that has expanded even further beyond kind of even open wheel itself. And, you know, I think in the early days, we would, we would always chase the titles that every fan from Drive to Survive is aware of. And that is your aerodynamicist, your engine people, your drivers, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, Tiffany and Delara have really brought us some cool, some cool titles that extend beyond what, what we see in, in, in racing every single day. So generally what, what sort of things do you do as a general manager for Delara? What, like, what is that role? Yeah. So, yeah, as you said, my role is for sure different than um, a highly specialized technical role. Uh, that you can find in uh, in Formula One teams. I come from a from a from an engineering background and uh, very technical positions within the Lara, but now as a general manager for the U.S. Um, facility for the Lara, of course my role is 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 much broader because um, I look after essentially the company here, the day-to-day -day operations of the facility here in Indianapolis uh, from a production standpoint planning, um, quality control, um, all the sales uh, operations that we have with the teams and with the OEMs, and, um, and also I look after the technical department, because um, uh, we have a design office here in Indianapolis uh, as well. So it's a role, of course, that uh, is a lot of management, a lot of coordination and organizations of the, of the people and of the different organizations. Um, and all of the different departments uh, here. Uh, a little less technical uh, or less special, highly specialized than, uh, 
than before, uh, but always with a you know with a high technical emphasis because everything we do is uh, is uh, very highly engineered, right? How do you how do you I, I and I think I know the answer to this. As a as an engineer, I I think in a career development, as you elevate, you do less of your kind of technical acumen or your training. How do you how do you start to separate that? Do you then become more of a teacher to the engineers in that role, or do you just kind of like hope they're really good at what they do? Do you oversee it? Yeah, I think this is. I, I think it's one of the struggles that all of us engineers uh, get to a point in your career, right? You start out of college, typically, if you've done a very technical engineering field, like I did mechanical engineering, for example, like you want to design, right? You want to calculate things, you want to simulate. So, and that's what typically, you know, most of the people get into. But then after some years that you've done that, uh, it comes to a point where you need to you need to decide because unfortunately or fortunately I don't know but the world nowadays is very very highly specialized right yeah. so you cannot uh, you know maybe maybe you know decades ago you could have one person design the whole car more or less it was it was the case now it's impossible you need to have people you need to have managers technical directors etc that know a lot but they don't know, uh, you know, all the details of every single discipline. So it comes a point in your career that you need, you as an engineer need to decide, uh, do I want to be highly specialized in one field, in, in one discipline or, you know, in one department, or I want to try to have a more of a, you know, either a project management role or a department manager role. So try to lead people tutor people, organize departments, methods, processes, etc., in order to uh, grow the company and, um, and the knowledge of the company, right? So yeah, uh, it happened to me as well. Uh, after, um, you know, after some years of uh, design experience, uh, I decided that I wanted to you know, uh, explore something more uh, managerial, if you want. So basically trying to oversee a project. And what happens is that, sorry, go ahead. I'm going to actually, I want to hang right there. The whole time you were talking, I was like, my mind was going somewhere with that. So in, in schooling, did you, were you taking, you know, in, in stateside, we like an, an MBA, like what, what, how were you equipping yourself to take that step from a very, you know, granular technical area to, you know, the skill sets of project management, finance, you know, managing a PL and teams and quality control is that's a hard skill to develop. Where where did right. all that come from? Yeah, it's a good point because we as engineers typically are very, <laughs> very technical. We only look at uh, at numbers and that's all we care about. Sure. Um, so it, so in 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 the Lara, typically what happens is that if a person um, is 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 willing to explore something different in, for example, in project management, then the company puts you through a a training program first of all. So 
whether you have the knowledge or not, whether you have had you know uh, college lessons on that or not, uh, then you go through a training program that gives you the basis uh, to do your to do your job. And typically, you start from a junior position, so you might have someone a little more experienced than you then. Uh, uh, helps you or guides you or you know uh, looks over your shoulder as you're working and that's what happened to me at the beginning when I started you know in the project management role for um, the Cadillac DPI then I had a, a more senior person that uh, I was working with plus doing some training with Alara. Uh, different story is when I, when I then moved into a more a company management role, uh, which uh, requires a whole different sets of skills. So in that case, the company put, put me through a leadership uh, coaching program with a, with, a, with a coach, essentially, for a couple of years, um, together with uh, an MBA. Um, so yeah, I, I have to say it's very important uh, to get the the, the on-the-job experience, but at the same time, it's important to get some uh, education from uh, from professionals. <clears throat> I could not agree with that sentiment anymore. I think real life training is the best skill set to carry because you're learning tasks, skills and traits that apply to the real world and not nothing against the textbook. You have to have that, but a textbook doesn't prepare you for right. the moving parts and the, the problems that occur. I come from software and technology. And so yeah. we encounter bugs on a regular basis. And, and that's a very dynamic. I lost you again. Set of problems that occur out of nowhere. And you know, you have to be able to react and respond to that. So very interesting. What, so with, with this role, and I, as I understand it, it's a fairly new role. Are you covering a specific project? Or are you covering a, an entire facility of a bunch of projects at one time? Yeah, it's, uh, <clears throat> so let me just uh, explain a little better. It's, uh, it's kind of a new role. Um, I mean, it's a new role for me. Uh, for the company, it's uh, kind of a new role. I mean, we have... It's the first, well, we have split the, before the CEO and general manager were in one person, now we split the duties because the company here in Indianapolis has grown, um, you know, uh, a little too much. So we needed a little more granularity. Um, technically, I, I'm involved in all projects, all U.S. projects. I don't, I don't follow um, directly anything that happens uh, over in uh, in Europe. So I follow all projects from a very very high um, high level, let's say, um, and we can we can uh, dive deep in that. Um, but then, for uh, historically, I've been very connected to one of the main programs in the in the Dalara Group that has been endurance cars, uh, where we are in. You know, we, we, we design and make cars for competition. Um, and I've been uh, the project manager for one of these programs for, uh, you know, since the beginning with, with Cadillac. So I still follow that one very, very, very closely um, just because I've always done. That was actually going to be my next question, is if you follow <laughs> 
if you were if you were over you know all projects or specific series and that's i i think that was the one part of this conversation i really wanted to dig in and because i've i've had a couple of guests that have done le mans they've done endurance they've done you know those those types of series and it's getting more and more interesting to me and so i'm i'm excited to kind of like start to delve into that world and and you know, hopefully at some point get to the track and actually watch one of these races. Um, but what does, what does a typical day for you look like? Are you come into the office? I mean, are you, are you a, a, a meetings guy? Are you out in the, the facilities? I mean, what, what does yeah. somebody <laughs> miss role? <laughs> well, my, my, my day is, pretty hectic um so <clears throat> typically my day starts at home uh while i'm you know having a coffee um i just you know check my emails real quick because there might be since we are in the us and europe starts earlier uh there might be some you know some emergency something that is really really important that i you know i might have to take care of right there maybe you know 7 a.m whenever i'm <clears throat> i'm sipping my coffee and and when you i mean that's what you have to do yes you do so when so when i when i look my email i browse my emails uh we also have an internal chat you know maybe i see if you know anyone has uh, tried to contact me for something really 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 important so that's how it starts and then typically on the drive to work it's um, a 15 minute drive if there is any any important call that i need to do then that's that's a good moment because as soon as I hit the, as soon as I enter the office, then it becomes um, uh, typically the, the, the typically the morning is very busy because in Italy it's afternoon and that's when we we work together. So typically the mornings are full of meetings, mm -hmm. like yeah, typically from eight to, to noon it's three, four, five meetings because all the different projects, all the different departments. Um, getting updates, follow-ups, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, mornings very full of meetings and a lot of interaction with uh, with Europe and with Italy, with the colleagues in Italy specifically, um, uh, and just trying to keep up with emails as they come. Uh, and then the afternoon is more focused on uh, the company here. So uh, people in Italy are sleeping, uh, they're enjoying their aperitivo or their dinner. And so here, here in the U.S., like we, I, I try to take care more of the, um, of the facilities uh, things here. So um, I'm, uh, I travel to races. Um, you know, I would say often. Uh, if you wanna, if you wanna put a number to it, maybe between uh, 10, 15 races uh, throughout the year. So of course, uh, a race weekend also involves uh, maybe thursday and monday so sometimes i'm not in the in the facility but when i am in the facility uh and i'm not in a meeting then i'm typically around around <laughs> around the different departments in production checking with people checking with the different supervisors how things are going and uh, talking to people a lot i try to talk to to to, to anyone really uh, to get a feel of what's going on and i think that's interesting that you bring up the morning and what happens when you walk in the front door of the office. I've, 
early in my career, I, I knew a lot of, you know, executives and they were always either working from home in the morning or throughout the day, or they would go work at a coffee shop or, you know, a, a like an executive suite office. And I'd ask Lost them, you. you have this wonderful, beautiful office and, and we're okay. Okay. And at your headquarters and you're never there. And, and I remember them telling me how hard it was to get work done at the office until I assumed roles like that and then realized that I get more accomplished in my day when I turn my phone off and I don't have employees that can like see me in my office and walk in and generate a conversation or see that my calendar is empty and put a request in there. I, I, I think for young people, it's a good, it's a good thing to think of conceptually how, how busy it is and how important it is to um, give some freedom to the people that are in the office. What, what is it about your role? Like you have your meetings, you have your coffee, you have all these calls in between. What creates a feeling of success at the end of your day? So when you're done with your day, you've done all these things that you've done. I know, I know what that feeling is at the track, but like when we're at the office, what, when do you yeah. come home and you're like, man, that was a good day? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. Uh, of course, yeah, again, it, it might be a great day sometimes for something or it might be a bad day for something else. Um, of course, it's a, it's a job that is full of, uh, um, you know, challenges every day or obstacles or things to fix you know everyone comes to to me uh, with, with issues to solve and decisions to make etc etc but um but but there are those days for sure where you you know when i get out and say wow this actually is looking pretty good and uh, that's <laughs> that's um that's that's when i have a perception that uh, that 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 things are moving in a direction. It's hard it's hard to explain because again I can say oh uh, it's a great day when I you know when it, when when we when we've closed the contract or it's uh, it's a great day when um, you know when I know that some parts that were absolutely needed have been shipped, but it's not really that that's like a, a moment like a momentaneous if I can say that like it's a, it's a moment of uh, of happiness that then you know gets forgotten after five minutes because the, the, there's another thing coming up. Uh, it's really instead, for me, uh, it's the perception of like a sort of the company moving forward. Maybe we've accomplished a meeting with, with you know, among managers and we've, you know, we've agreed on, you know, on, uh, on a training plan or on a, or we fixed like a department issue that was, you know, uh, trying to sort of stopping the performance so it's like more on a personal emotional level with the people that i feel uh, more accomplished rather than uh hey we uh we've shipped these parts we've won this race which is great or i don't know if if it's uh if it's clear what i mean <laughs> <laughs> so i i am sales in my dna so the okay. <laughs> closing concept i got you i'm right there there's nothing sweeter than a new new customer, a new contract, whatever that is. But I do I do agree with you that, you know, connecting with your team, building your team up and 
And just as you've described in the Delara culture of this, you know, leaders building leaders is, you know, as great as that is conceptually, very, very few companies actually do that or they instill it in the culture of their business. And it's, it, it, to me, outside of motorsports and my day, my day job, it's really interesting to see how well organized, you know, structurally and culturally and with communication motorsports is as an organization relative to, you know, their counterparts outside of racing. And, you know, and that is you fail if you don't do it. I mean, you lose races, you, you know, the car, the wheels fall off on the car. It's, you know, it's, it's important that all of these things are measured. And I, I, and I find it interesting that leaders don't spend more time in motorsports and racing to identify what works culturally and corporately than yeah. they do. They, they look to the, the, the tech companies that have unlimited funding and unlimited budgets and route with bugs and problems and media and whatever. And then you have motorsports, which is this well-oiled, beautiful machine of commercial functionality i don't know however you want to say it but it's but yeah it it's really cool to watch that how did you get into motorsport so how how did all this start uh well it it started as a kid of course watching formula one in italy i mean it's it's very very it's very very i mean i don't know common or almost cheesy uh but it, it is what it is <laughs> like you're a you're an italian kid and your family watches f1 i mean i was um you know early 90s um i mean ferrari was not doing great uh but there was senna which uh you know was was still uh was still winning races and championships so among your the kids and family, we you know we all watched uh, every every GP. So it all started there. Um, and but then really, my dad's family has always been uh, passionate about motorcycles and cars in general. My my grandpa, he used to race motorcycles. He was always you know with tools fixing something, and I just uh, you know I just got the passion from uh, from my dad's family, I guess. How, but how did that how did that transition and first off that's not cheesy i okay. yeah, i have family in italy and it's not cheesy i understand motorsport and the passion behind it it's it's uh it's expected um so it, it's exciting to hear that how how did that transition from a kid watching formula 1 with family interesting Every kid likes engines, motorcycles, driving fast. I have a teenager. I get that. I was a teenager at one point. But how did that turn into a career? Yeah. Is it always to be an engineer or? No, no, not necessarily. Um, of course, I like cars and motorcycles, etc. But, you know, I had other passions when I was a kid and uh, I used to play music. I studied music, you know, I used to play soccer a lot. Um, that I, 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 I really loved uh, a lot of other things. I mean, during high school, um, I, I loved philosophy. So, I mean, of course, different passions, but I guess 
it turned out into a career or it I, I had a, an idea to turn it into a career when uh, it was time to decide what to do for college. And uh, for college, of course, you have all these different options uh, and lots of different things that I liked. Uh, but I was, I was re really good in, in maths and physics. Um, it was pretty easy for me. And um, yeah, and I think uh, at, that, at that time, you, you think, okay, what am I good at? What can be a good job for the future? Even, you know, a safe job for the future, right? Because I, I could have kept going with music, but it probably in my mind was a little, a, a, maybe a less safe choice or, you know, you don't know. It's harder to, to, to have a career unless you are super talented, maybe. Um, so at that point, when I was 18, was, okay, I mean, I'm really good at math. I like, I would like, you know, to work on motorcycle or cars or race cars. Um, engineering seemed like a pretty, pretty solid choice. And so it all started there. Uh, and all the rest became hobbies and passions. I, I, I love the fact that you thought about, like, the risk. As yeah, a, yeah, I did. I, I genuinely did. <laughs> I remember it. <laughs> it's really easy to be in that dream state as a young person of like, I could make it in the music business. Like, I got this, you know, and, and then yeah. reality kind of sets in. And... Well, I wanted, I wanted to make I, I, I wanted to make it in the soccer business, but my mom was not of the same idea. So <laughs> I had to choose something a little, uh, you know, more. <laughs> What yeah, I was pretty good at soccer, but <laughs> you still play? Yeah, but not not a very high level anymore. Okay. Yeah, I've I've <laughs> tried to I've tried to play as an adult. And I think me and everyone that I play with, we all think we're 18 still. And we end up, you right. know, like blowing our lungs out. We end up um you know getting training ankles oh yeah i i got injured more playing soccer than i did like doing triathlons and doing all sorts of other things and i'd come home and my knees are destroyed yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Fins were destroyed cleats were destroyed yeah it, i know the feeling <laughs> <laughs> what did you did you graduate school and move to delara or what was your first role kind of out of college? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did. I finished my master's and, and I moved straight to Dallara as an intern. I was an intern in the design office, uh, first role in Dallara. Well, first role ever also. What? Okay. For all of our audience, if you're an intern for Dallara, what do you, what do, you do? Do you go fetch coffee for all the engineers or do you... Uh, like, getting in the in the actual role it's probably the most difficult role i've ever had uh, because <laughs> because i was in the design office and they i i knew i knew nothing i knew zero uh because um in college at least the college i did was uh, a very good university but very uh mechanical engineering focus and so we didn't do race cars we didn't uh, think about how a race car is made or um, anything like that. 
So I, I get to the Lara as an intern and they start feeding me design projects and for race car, like, I mean, real race cars that, you know, we, the, the, the Lara group was designing to, to put on the, on the racetrack to sell to the teams, etc. And so I'm there, I'm with a 3D CAD software that I had never seen before. Um, speaking to people that had you know years and years of experience that were doing bodywork uh, fuel systems uh, suspensions and whatever and uh, i was there like okay what should i do so and in that case but that's typical the lara um, that's that's what we do we put try to put people in um, uncomfortable positions but not because we're evil but to see, you know, how a person learns and, you know, how uh, you, you face challenges and um, so real, real projects. Um, and it was, uh, it was extremely fun. I mean, I still remember how excited I was and how much I was working at, even at home and reading. And really, it was an, an exponential growth. Um, and I survived. <laughs> Sorry, I'm pausing because I'm trying to like put together a thought here. Okay. I had a, you know, I, I had a point in my career where I thought I knew everything and I, you know, I was the best in my own mind. And, and I remember coming into a company and the, the CEO of the company, you know, was telling me things like, I'm going to get you comfortable being uncomfortable. And, you know, it's like, I'm going to teach you to to be very comfortable in a space of, of discomfort. And, you know, and I remember kind of being like, well, what do you mean by that? You know? And over time, I think in my career, it has really allowed me to push myself to the limits professionally, but also understand where kind of the guardrails exist of capability and know like, how far can I push myself before I hit a wall, I come crashing down, whether that's burnout, whether that's, you know, what's allowed and what's not allowed, what is going too far in, in a sale or whatever it is. But it it really developed me professionally and and allowed me, I think, as a as a 40 plus year old to operate in, and think very clearly in extremely pressure situations. So I, I, I think, you know, despite what people think about pressure and discomfort professionally. I think it really develops you to think, especially in motorsport and racing, how to make decisions, how to think clearly under pressure, because that's where everybody loses it. You know, I, no, was... I, I, yeah, I completely agree, but I want to clarify, it was not putting people in a challenge and then pressure them and stress them out. It's not, I mean, I've never felt stressed out or pressured. It was just challenge okay it's a there are technical challenges uh, and then you need to you know find solutions but um the environment was really really uh welcoming and um, you know and um, uh, yeah uh, i don't want to say friendly but but you know everyone helping each other i cannot think of a right word collaborative and yeah how how did that help you professionally because you you've been in you know i'm going through the list here is super formula you know f3 gp3 f2 gp2 indycar 
Renault World Series, GT3. Like, did that skill set transfer into that world? Uh, you, you mean from project to project or the internship experience? I, I think just the internship experience, but also the ability to cope under pressure. I mean, you know, I, I'm thinking in your yeah. world, if I'm a team owner, I'm coming to you. I need you to build me a race car. The amount of pressure that I would put on you and your team to get it across the finish line, because I've promised my sponsors winning or results or whatever. And the pressure has got to be really high in that situation. Yeah. Yes, for, for sure. I mean, um, it, it transfers because every project, um, I mean, let's be honest, every project 99% of the times has a tight, tight, uh, timeline and tight deadlines and milestone, etc. especially in racing. Typically, again, as you said, customers come to us, they, they need a car uh, yesterday. <laughs> okay. Well, we need to design and make, etc. So, uh, every project has always been uh, pretty fast paced. So, uh, so yeah, that is experience translated very well, but also the technical experience between projects translated very well. Um, I've been mainly uh, employed within the racing business unit in the Lara. Um, I haven't done a lot of automotive consultancy that we do also for, you know, big OEMs. Um, but yeah, the experience is perfectly translatable between the different uh, racing series. And I have to ask the question of all those series, where, where's the passion? Like oh, it's, God. All exciting. <laughs> it's all exciting. And I want to clarify <clears throat> that. Like I have just as much fun in an IndyCar race as I do at Formula One. And then, you know, and I probably have quite a bit more fun at kart races. But where, where for you is the, like the real, the real, real deep rooted passion? I think the answer is a little, um, um, influenced by one really important aspect that, so the, the, the passion is in a, in endurance racing. Um, but I also think that it's influenced by the fact that we are in competition there. Hmm. Whereas, so Super Formula F3, F2, IndyCar, uh, the Lara is the, you know, single make for those series. So yes, it's, it, they're great projects and they're, ex especially for example, I'm really, really connected to Super Formula because the first Super Formula that the Lara made, I was part of the design team, uh, very connected to IndyCar because, I mean, it's my everyday job as well. But then when, where there is competition, then something switches. Um, and so we are in competition in endurance. Uh, and so that's probably what yeah, makes the heart beat a little more right now. <laughs> I, I, I have to do this. So I, I went to the Music City Grand Prix and I uh, was with a couple of Mercedes engineers while I was there. And, you know, they kept telling me about the, the 24 hour Le Mans. And they're like, you have to cut, you have to come watch this race. And I was like, it's 24 hours. It's a big track. It's probably like F1. I can see like, you know, 20 cars every couple of minutes fly by me. And, you know, 
and they were just like, you have, you have to experience this. I, I just like, I can't even describe it. You just have to come experience it. And so did you go, did you go or you, you didn't go? Uh, yeah. No, I've not gone yet. We're, we're going to try to catch a trip to Europe next year. And, and I think we're the way things are going, this is probably going to be more of a me trip because I'm trying to connect in with, um, all of the motorsports that I've networked with over the last year or two. So I will, but get... I can tell you this, this year, go ahead. Yeah. I can tell you this year was, uh, unbelievable. It was really an, an, an historical event. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta do it. I, I want to try to find one here stateside, just a good, a good race. You can catch enough of it and you can kind of network around the track. Well, uh, the 24 hours of Daytona, it's perfect. Is it? Okay. Yeah. Okay. January. Last weekend of January, 24 hours of Daytona. We'll be there. <laughs> Amen. Sorry, I'm writing it down because I'm actually going <laughs> to. <laughs> my, my daughter is, has, has created this fascination with motorsports all of a sudden. And, you know, I, I have this text on my phone where she's like, Daddy, how do I get into racing? And I was like, oh, well, what do you want to do? And she's like, I don't really know i just like it so i took her to uh i took her to the indycar race here in st louis and she was just oh nice she's she's worn a colton herda jersey to school every single week since that race and she's she's gonna go to coda with me cool uh, in october and she's just raring to go to as many races as possible <laughs> i don't know where it came from but i am like She's my little compadre. So man, I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to take her everywhere. <laughs> what, um, what walk me through these, these projects. Cause these are really interesting to me. Cause these are not, these are not the types of projects or cars that you see on TV every day on we on the weekend and, and whatnot. You you've done work in the, the Cadillac project. Um, and there's, you know, the DPI and there's the, the V series R that I'm looking at here. Like what, what are these? Like, what are these projects? So, uh, you, you, you want to talk about these, uh, endurance cars. Yeah. 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 <clears throat> so the, so let me in, um, so endurance racing is, is essentially what is called, uh, um, closed wheel racing, right? So compared to IndyCar, Formula One, Formula Two, et cetera, where the wheels of the car are exposed to air uh, or visible, let's say, um, the tires are visible. Uh, in closed wheel racing, it's a full closed bodywork. So this is the main difference. And then the second difference is that these cars do uh, long distance races. So not an hour and a half, an hour type of racing, but these go three, six, 12 up to 24 hours of racing <clears throat> and so one of the biggest projects that Dallara has done in these latest years again competition in in competition with other constructors um, uh, is designing and building these cars for uh, uh, let's say uh, to, to be sold as Dallara cars or branded with whatever OEM customer asks us to do that, right? So, and one of these projects has been with Cadillac. Actually, it's been our first OEM customer with the previous generation of cars uh, that are called the DPI. 
uh, in the case that Caddy like DPI. DPE is because Daytona prototype. DP is, uh, stands for Daytona prototype. And then the next generation, which is the one that is racing right now since the beginning of this year, um, are these hybrid cars that are called LMDH. LMDH stands for Le Mans Daytona Hybrid. So these are hybrid cars now. Um, and so with Cadillac, this project started uh, with the design of the DPI car in uh, towards the end of 2015, uh, which I was, it, it was my first real project management role. Um, and then it evolved into the current generation car, uh, LMDH, always with Cadillac. Um, but now we also have another OEM uh, that we make, design and make the car for, which is BMW. And I the race against each other. I find it fascinating that Cadillac has made such a push into motorsports recently because that would, I'm, I'm a commercial guy. I try to think of like the commercial, the brand, the marketing, the, the logic. And, and when I, when I have thought of Cadillac in the past, it's not been in racing and they've just done this really cool job of putting themselves in that world, less of the luxury, retired, comfortable, very, very elegant cars and SUVs into this like new bud, new budding breed of race car. I, it, it's actually really interesting. Yes, how they, you're right. Like, you guys with Andretti with, with these things and, and they're aligning themselves to almost reinvigorate the brand itself. And it's, again, it's really, really neat to see that. Has Delara been around? I mean, do you guys make the engines for these? No, no, we don't. Okay. No, we don't make engines. Okay. Where, where does the challenge come in a project like this? Well, <clears throat> outside project brand new for you, but. Yeah, no, I mean, a project like this, of course, is uh, it's very complex because it's, it's multi-layered. So first of all, um, let's, let's talk about this latest project, which is a little more, you know, uh, it's, it's actually current, um, these hybrid new LMDH cars. So it's, it was a whole new set of regulations. So that's already a challenge. So working with the organizing bodies, uh, you know, the FIA, um, IMSA here, state side, US side, working with the governing bodies and with all the other OEMs and stakeholders to define a set of rules. So a lot of work there. So that's already a challenge. And then you need to be able to design a car following those set of rules that is fast enough to compete with others and others are not you know uh, whoever you know here we had porsche ferrari toyota acura so like big big brands with a lot of history in racing and so there's for sure an incredible technical challenge uh to to, to achieve that <clears throat> um, another big challenge is more from an from an organization standpoint we were talking before about the processes, the organization in motorsport, the structure, communication, and all of that. Like in a case like this, we are 
let's say, the technical partner for Cadillac from the chassis side. So we design the car, the whole integration of the systems, the aerodynamics, et cetera, et cetera. But they design and make the engine. Someone else design and make uh, this spec hybrid system that goes on all these cars that follow the same platform or the, the same technical regulations. And the coordination of, of all of that between two continents, because then this car is racing in the World Endurance Championship and in the IMSA Championship uh, with different teams in two continents. I mean, you can imagine the uh, how many meetings, uh, you know, online meetings throughout a year plus to coordinate all that, even just even only from a logistical standpoint to make sure that when the car was ready to do its first shakedown on a racetrack in the US, you actually had everything for, for, for that car to run. And these are pretty complex cars. Because again, uh, there's a hybrid powertrain, an ice engine, uh, et cetera, et cetera. How, okay. As, a, as the technical partner for the OEM, and you're introduced with a hybrid build, whether it's ice or hybrid, how does that affect your your role? I mean, is it enhanced aerodynamics because you don't have like an exhaust or smaller intakes? Like, how does this technically affect your role? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> so the, the, these cars uh, had to be hybrid. Uh, powered so ice engine plus uh, an electric motor and a battery pack that gets recharged and then deploys the energy so this was yeah g given so um how it changes on on a ve vehicle layout uh or ve vehicle design i mean of course it's additional weight that you need to take into account um Cooling systems change a lot because the electric motor and the batteries need cool, cooling. Mm -hmm. And and typically, there are two different types of cooling uh, me, media as well. So it's not, you know, water glycol for everything. So a different cooling. Like, so it was not simply a copy and paste of the old car that was... Uh, only with an ice engine. Now we needed to develop cooling systems for the for the hybrid powertrain as well. Um, from a from a powertrain perspective, uh, it means also the integration of of the electric power into the the power deployment, right? So, how can you uh, exploit the uh, electric motor to your advantage? You know, in the different uh, in the different conditions, um, but also the reliability of everything. You know, if we as the Lara had never designed a car with a hybrid system, how could we understand precisely the reliability of all these new components we were installing in our vehicle? Uh, what are the design constraints? Um, so a lot of um, uh, a lot of technical meetings with the hybrid partners to to try to explore all of these uh, all of these all of these aspects. Um, yeah, in a nutshell. 
Sorry, this is like, this is really fascinating to me. I like, this is a part of, of motorsports and racing. I feel like I have the least amount of knowledge in, and I could probably sit here for like two more hours and just ask really, really dumb questions about these series, like the series structure, the technical structure, the strategy on race day and, and whatnot. And we'll say that I won't, I won't bore you with those there are no dumb questions <laughs> <laughs> so i had i had i had Dan, daniela on my show a couple of weeks ago and you know and just kind of getting his reaction from taking the stradale from like in mr delara's head to the to the track this was your first project from like start to finish, what was like, describe to me that feeling of like completion, seeing it on track, seeing it perform, like that's your baby. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's hard to explain really because, so I have to say, I don't feel like it's mine at all. I just, you know, but, but in a sense, uh, it, it really, since I've spent countless hours of my years on it, uh, especially, you know, during the design, the design stages, then, uh, then of course I'm very connected to it, but I don't want to say it's, it's my baby because again, it's such a complex project that so many people are essential to the, to, to the good outcome in any case, um, I mean, I'm thinking right now about how many nights I've spent, uh, like, uh, you know, either designing or reviewing or reading documents, etc. But it's uh, it's really, really, it's really in, in incredible what you feel when you put the car. So I think two two things: uh, the first time that the car hits the track, you know, the first shakedown that you you know you go there, you think you've done everything correctly, you think that with the team you've assembled the car correctly uh, uh, but then you put the car on the track with the driver inside for the first time and you're like okay let's see what's going to happen now you know because <laughs> because uh, it can happen right um and so that feeling is is really amazing uh, turning the first laps and seeing that things are working that the cooling systems are cooling you know <laughs> uh the engine that the car is braking that the steering is turning the car on the right side, um, you know, that the car has the aero, that the driver gives you the feedback that you are expecting, that is not saying, oh my God, guys, this is a complete uh, mistake, you know, <clears throat> because in the end, <clears throat> in the end, let's be honest, uh, we are, we have all the tools in the world that we simulate, we you know, we analyze, we do, we have a driving simulator, we, you know, we test everything out of it. But then when you put the car on track, you still have that, uh, it's not a fear, but it's like sort of a last question. Okay, let's see, let's see if, uh, if everything is, is as expected. And so I have to say, we've been, I would say, fairly lucky that things have gone well during the first shakedown. So that's a very, very nice moment. Um, and then the other incredible moment is the first win. The first win is always unforgettable. Um, and 
for the previous generation car, so for the DPI, when I was younger, first ever, you know, complete project, first race of that car was the 24 hours of Daytona. It was not a one hour of uh, whatever road course that you can think of. It was the biggest race of the season. It was the 24 hours of Daytona. We showed up uh, with two cars, uh, no, actually three cars, um, and, uh, and we won. Uh, and so that was just pure joy. How was, <laughs> my next question was, how was the year? And how, how is that against, you know, I guess, expectation? How was what? Say, how, say again? How was, how was the year perform? Obviously, you come into the 24-hour, you win. Yeah. How was the rest of the season? Well, that season, the 2017 uh, IMSA season was uh, historical because we won the first five races if i'm not mistaken like one after the other uh and then i think we won i think two more or out of uh, 10 races if i remember well i was a domination it was unbelievable uh it was yeah i mean we then we never repeated this incredible streak of success we kept winning a lot of races and championships but the first year was just amazing like was a dream it was really a dream like it was like uh, the others must have done something wrong or something is wrong here because it's, it's too good to be true. You know, <laughs> uh, it was really good. How, okay. <laughs> so then how's the 2024 season expected to go? Do I get to go to the 24 hour here and sip champagne with Delara or like, what's your expectation for next year? Yeah. Uh, next year is tough. Um, it's. Uh, I mean, we are all. I think the the level is 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 very high now of all teams and OEMs. I think that everyone is understood better the rules, the series, <clears throat> and so the level of even I, actually even the series itself has evolved a lot from a regulation and from a scrutineering standpoint. So it's much much tighter than before. So that's why I'm saying it's really tough. It's uh, so I think it's going to be very good racing, like it was this year as well, because uh, the competition is is really really close. In 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 endurance racing, do you have the developmental restrictions that say Formula One has? I mean, can you continue to develop that car through the year or? Uh, very limited. There yeah. is a, there are a lot of restrictions. So the car, as it's as as we say, it's uh, homologated. So it goes before the first racing season goes through a process of aero homologation and um, engine homologation and just chassis homologation. So the parts are uh, in a document that that uh, shows and documents how the car is made. Mm -hmm. And so the developments that you can do, <clears throat> of course you can do almost limitless developments on safety mm -hmm. and reliability. So if there's a really safety concern on parts of the car, then you can change those um, with no problem or reliability concerns that you can prove. Uh, but performance developments, are very limited. So in the US, uh, well, 
uh, in LMDH, let's say in this platform, you can have five performance evolutions over the core over the uh, time span of the car life of the homologation life of the car. Uh, and so you need to think about how you want to play those uh, because uh, you are only allowed five. And it's tricky. And it's tricky because uh, a performance um, development is done on an item. Uh, but when you do a car development, it's hard to only focus on an item. You typically change two or three at the same time because you know everything interacts with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's uh, yeah, it's uh, it's restrictive in in an effort to keep costs down, of course, and a you know and a and a high level of competition. Okay, so you've been with Delara most of your career. What's the career objective for you? Like, what's your dream oh. role, Delara? Oh wow, uh, <laughs> I. <laughs> I think I, have, I mean, I've accomplished, I'd say, a lot of uh, dreams maybe that I had, at, you know, at the beginning of my career, including, you know, moving to the U.S. and 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 living the U.S. and experience the American life and racing. Uh, right, right now, in in all honesty, I do not think about dreams uh, or, yeah, dreams or dream roles a lot. Uh, because, uh, not because I don't have, you know, aspirations or ambitions, but just, um, I don't know, I'm uh, into this uh, continuous, uh, I don't know, development within the company, and uh, I don't, I, I've, I've stopped thinking about, oh, I would like to become this. Yeah. It's just, it's just a, I don't know, I feel so much part of it that I don't have, a specific goal. Even I, I, if I said, "Oh, I want to become the CEO or the president," or um, it's, I don't know. I don't think about that. It's uh, actually now that you ask the question, it's it's kind of weird. <laughs> you, love, you love what you do. I mean, I, I yeah. I think in a career, I think you know there there are times where I've I've had that feeling where you just kind of like you're so in the moment of the process that you're experiencing that it's very fulfilling and you don't think outside of that not with a lack of ambition or a lack of goals or drive or whatever but you're like just your your state of mind your purpose what you're accomplishing at work are all kind of basically your career is developing as a byproduct of you being completely locked in. Exactly. I think the way you word it now is exactly what I'm thinking. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a, an experience that I'm, I'm witnessing in a lot of areas, not just in myself, but just in that. I think in general professionals are always looking at like what you said, CEO, president, whatever they're so hyper-focused on that, that they're not thinking or enjoying where they are today and they're miserable. And when they Mm -hmm. get to that objective, they've kind of like missed so much. I think this, I've experienced the same in building a company where you're so building the technology, trying to achieve this, get my product to market, get my first sale, 
get a bunch of sales, hire people and like do these things. And, and I, and when, when it was all done and we had sold the company, I remember kind of sitting back thinking about being up at three o'clock in the middle of the night, you know, trying to accomplish a task and being so hyper-focused on like, I need to get this to market. I need to get the sale. And, and, and I, and I remember thinking, you know, when I do this again, I'm going to enjoy the moment. I'm not going to think about the objective. I'm going to enjoy the moment because there's so much to experience and learn in the moment that will make that ultimate objective or that end legacy so much sweeter. Yeah, no, I I fully agree. I think I'm really into the flow of what we do every day of the you know the projects we have going on the. Uh, activities uh, you know investments i'm so into it that i really stopped thinking about oh i want to become this it just happens naturally you know it's uh, it just develops from 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 where you are i guess that's what ha- what's happened to me in the last years i guess in that note in your career i think i have the answer for this for you but i'm going to ask you what's been your pinch me moment in your career in motorsport, the pinch me moment. Uh, yeah, I think I already said that. <laughs> it's that 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 first Daytona win is like just uh, incredible. Uh, yeah, I think that's that's the one. If you want another one, I can think about another one. But that's it's been just uh, too much. I the whole time you were you were telling me about that, I was thinking about. Ford versus Ferrari. I was thinking about, you know, just those yeah. stories that you hear about the Cinderella story. It, it, I don't know if there is a better one than that. <laughs> no, but because it was also the, the comeback of the Lara into endurance racing after uh, quite a few years. So for us as a company it was also a, cha- um, yeah, like a, we needed to prove something or, you know. This isn't in my notes here. I'm just, I'm going somewhere with, with my thought here, but is, is the leadership inside of Delara? There's always an aspect of business continuity. Like, I don't want to talk about like, you know, we don't want to do dumb things that jeopardize the company. <clears throat> But do you feel like leadership at Delara seeks out challenges or like really crazy objectives and then executes on it? Like I, I, I feel like the more that I've engaged Delara, they have these like ideas or these, I want to win Le Mans. And then, and then they, then they come to you and they're like, okay, I need you to do this. And it's like, they cast this vision out and they let, let you go. And almost every guest that I've had on has this similar story. Is that, I mean, is that kind of in, in the culture of leadership at Delara to just be like, let's get back in this thing or let's go win that thing. Let's I think so. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's uh, yeah, you, I think you got the point. It's um, it's challenging the company with difficult things, not 
not what we've always done. Let's do it again because, yeah, it's working out. We have business and, uh, you know, it's safe. It's always been really, okay, what's the next thing that, uh, you know, put us a little bit uh, of discomfort, but from which we can learn a lot, create new business, uh, grow the company, grow the knowledge. And so, yeah, typically it's uh, the next uh, kind of difficult thing that either you've never done or you haven't done at that level that then, uh, yeah, let's say the owners or, or the, the leaders of the company tell us to, to do. <laughs> yeah. What surprised you about this world of motorsports? Like what didn't you expect when you got in? Um, I think I didn't expect that there would be like that the days at the racetrack would be so rough sometimes Mm. Uh, you know looking from outside you look at motorsport and you think it's all glamour glamour and um, you know people always seem very well dressed and uh, never sweaty or things like that. But the reality is that when you, when you go testing or, um, you know, when you have to develop a product, a race car, or even during a race weekend, when, you know, issues happen, then it's very long days and very rough days. And so that, yeah, that I wasn't expecting that at all before joining. Yeah, I you know I I I resonate with that not not to the degree that you you experience that, but I I know my my son races go karts for fun, and you know we go out there and it, I feel like we spend three hours trying to figure out the setup for the day, and then the clouds come out and <laughs> everything doesn't work all of a sudden, or you know something yeah. happens or whatever the chain breaks or whatever whatever occurs within within that day is just it's almost equally frustrating as it is fulfilling you know and i think for me it's just solving problems and challenges and hanging out with my son but i i do i do get what you're saying you know it's like my expectation of that is to go out there and drive really fast and do <laughs> something cool yeah. And in reality, it's a whole lot of getting greasy and dirty and frustrated and stressed out that you're not going to be able to get the cart to the track in time. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> for some reason, the back yeah. end keeps sliding out and I don't know how to stabilize it. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, what's been <clears throat> like, I, I think in, in everyone's life, you have that moment of adversity. That's like a really big teaching moment. Where in your career have you experienced that? Um, I would say, uh, I mean, what is a a little fresher, I guess, uh, in my mind, uh, mainly in the, here in the managerial career, I think, um, you know, when, when people leave the company, since now, of course, I have, uh, you know, I have, um, uh, my my area is is made of a lot of people. So when people leave the company and maybe you're not expecting it, or or maybe they're leaving the company and then telling you why they're leaving the company. Um, in 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 general, um, it's always a moment where I ask 
myself a lot of questions, um, and not necessarily because I've done something wrong or um, or uh, maybe they're living in good terms, etc. But I think, yeah, I I'm I'm very attached to the people and uh, and the way we you know we try to grow their skills and uh, you know involve them in the company and and all of that. Then when someone leaves, especially if I'm not expecting it, um, it's uh, yeah, it makes me think a lot. And um, yeah, I don't think people realize how attached you get to coworkers and how much leaders attach themselves to the people that help them and help the business achieve its goals, and that yeah. like the, the com camaraderie that you build in that process and you know I, I think i think every every employee always feels expendable and replaceable and every leader feels like their people are irreplaceable and it's it is it's a very interesting dynamic that you experience in your career when you go from an employee to a leader or i guess a subordinate to a leader, whatever you want to call it. And you really kind of like really realize that, that um, the connection that you have with your team and how irreplaceable people can be. It's a really, really. Yeah, of course. But of, of course, as a, as a, as a leader, I mean, you, you know, you need to build a company that is insensitive to, to big changes or to people leaving, which of course, that's what we all try to do. But really, I, I, I always think about that a lot and trying to find reasons and trying even to change some of the things that we do when someone leaves uh, unexpectedly, then, uh, okay, maybe they got a better offer. Okay, why we were not able to do a better offer or why that offer was better than ours. So that's, um, that's uh, a lot for me uh, to think about typically uh, as we are building the company here in the US. What advice do you have for young people? that are sitting in front of the TV watching <clears throat> the 24-hour Le Mans and saying, I want, a, I want a career in motorsport. What advice do you have for them? Um, well, study. Study a lot. <laughs> like, that's number one. Um, study whatever. I mean, it, it doesn't mean you have to become a mechanical engineer. And if you like marketing, then study marketing. Or, you know, like study reading as much as possible especially now it's so easy uh like when i graduated uh, it, there was not so much information around and uh, so now there's so much information that people can really get very knowledgeable at what they're passionate at and then get involved get involved as soon as possible that's one of the mistakes that i did i only got involved when i was looking for a job uh like really in racing but Get involved as early as possible. Uh, intern internships. Uh, go help uh, turn wrenches on a car on a weekend. Anything. Put yourself into the environment because maybe you 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 can really understand if you like it or not first, and then you start uh, having connections and uh, understanding better how the world uh, of racing goes. I love that answer. I think that applies to everything. Well, yeah, I guess. <laughs> it applies to business. It applies to relationships, yeah. to marriage and kids. And 
life, <laughs> going to the grocery store, everything. Giacomo, seriously, thank you for coming on the show. I thank you. I have just gotten some of the coolest people from Delara, and I'm just really, really enjoying the conversations and kind of the relationships that I get to build. And, you know, it just the, I always say, if you've been on formula access, you're a friend for life. And I, I, as much as I say, I enjoy going to races, I go to races to meet the people that I've had on the show and like the people I'm with kind of jump in and say, um, are you going to watch the race? I mean, I, I went to the St. Pete Grand Prix and I spent the whole time in hospitality. I watched the race on TV. Yeah. And, you know, and just it's been, it has been much more fun spending time with the guests that I've had on the show. And I, I created all my WhatsApp channels for all the guests that I've had on the show. And, oh, really? you know, a hey, good job or, you know, Poor Tiffany. I text her every time I'm at an IndyCar race. Are you guys here? <laughs> Where are you at? <laughs> Where is it? Where's Stefano? What's going on? You know, so, <laughs> seriously, I, I, I really appreciate you taking time out of your day. The busy projects that you have, it has been a great experience. Uh, as you, as you develop and you grow inside of Delara and create new projects, you're always welcome to come on. And uh, thank you. we're happy to have you. Thank you. Thank you very much uh, for the opportunity to uh, to talk a little bit about myself and Alara. <laughs> Great, I learned a lot. I hope I hope the audience did too. <laughs>